Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Patty, and I am one of the teaching pastors here at Crossroads, and it is a joy and an honor to be here with you this morning. Thank you, Pastor Chuck, for the opportunity to close out the year with the Crossroads family. And what a year it's been, right? I mean, I really feel like this year has been kind of a doozy. It's like one long, giant wait session. And I know that you all know, and so I don't really need to go into details, but let's just say we've all been waiting. Like, waiting for the next shoe to drop, for the next set of bad news, some kind of normalcy to come along. And I bet some of you are even saying to yourself, thank goodness we only have four more days left of 2020. But you know something that I've been waiting on? I was thinking about this the other day. I've been waiting for Disneyland to open. Right? I mean, and of course, this year had to be the year that my husband and I literally scraped all of our money to save for Disneyland passes for our entire family. There we are in happier days, right? (laughs) We got a few days in before the shutdown and it was amazing. And as I thought about the memories that we were making and the ones that I had hoped to have for the rest of the year with our passes, I started thinking about how much waiting we actually do while we're at Disneyland, right? So first we wait to even get there. We wait in traffic as we drive to get to Disneyland. Then when we finally get there, we wait in our car to get a parking space. Then we wait in line for security. Then we wait in line for the tram. Then we wait in line to even get into Disneyland. And then finally, when we're inside, we wait in more lines. We wait in line for food. We wait in line for the rides. I mean, we almost become like professionals at waiting, Uh, especially my family and I. We became professionals and we came up with these strategies that we would use to help us with our waiting. So the first thing we would do is we would distract. All right. In distraction strategy, we spend time playing games while we're waiting. We would do word association games or like the heads up game. That was always a huge favorite. We would even make a game out of waiting in line. So we would look at the projected wait time and we'd set a timer on our watch. And if we could get into the ride before the time on the wait time said, man, it was like we were the king and queen of Disneyland, right? We won the prize. Another thing we would do to distract is we would eat. So as a mom, I always brought like all the snacks, all of them. I mean, I had string cheese and salami and cucumber slices. My kids like to eat those. And we would have cookies and popcorn and all the things that we could do to distract our children while we were waiting in line. Another strategy we came up with was to avoid waiting in line at all. I mean, we would look at the Disneyland app and we would get fast passes. And we'd go from one fast pass to another, all to avoid waiting in as many lines as we possibly could. Another strategy that we came up with was to rush. We would rush our wait. In doing this, we would look at the app again and we would find out which rides had the shortest wait times. And we would literally run from one side of the park to the other, back and forth to short line to short line, all to avoid waiting. Meanwhile, we're literally dragging our kids along behind us, kind of like a sack of potatoes, and we're hoping that they won't slow us down. And yet it kind of seemed like all they would do is try to slow us down. They were like, oh, look at the balloons, or oh, I want cotton candy, oh, the castle the same one we see every time we go, right? But we would rather do that than spend too much time waiting. And then of course, sometimes we'd get emotional. Now this wasn't necessarily a strategy, more like a byproduct of the waiting. So 
when I get emotional, I mean, I'm telling you, I could be in line and I would feel frustration. I would feel anger, uh, especially if something happened to make our line even longer. You know, like if the ride shut down and we were almost there, we were so close. I would get to this feeling where I'm so over it, right? And then some people are lonely when they're waiting in line because maybe they go by themselves and they don't have someone to play heads up with. I mean, this can lead to feeling of like just that, you know, oh, I just want this to be done with. And we get to this point where we don't even enjoy the ride when we finally get there because we're so over it. But in reality, I think we kind of do this in life, right? I mean, we wait and we have developed strategies to help us through our waiting. So when we're waiting for something, we might distract ourselves in life. We might become expert bakers or, you know, we all of a sudden become clean freaks and we're doing whatever it is that we can to help us not think about the fact that we are waiting for something. We might even go back into old destructive habits like addictions or that relationship that you know you shouldn't be in. We also avoid. We avoid waiting as much as possible. Again, in this, we, we might binge watch all the TV shows or we might scroll through social media constantly. Anything that we can do, again, to avoid thinking about what it is that we are waiting on. And then sometimes we rush our wait. In this strategy, we do whatever it is that we can in order to make it so that uh, we hurry up through this wait process. We try to fix our problem ourselves. We send 10,000 texts or we make all these phone calls, whatever it is that we can do to hurry up and get on the other side of waiting. But when we do that, we miss whatever it is that God is trying to show us or teach us in the middle of our waiting. And then come the emotions. Now, for many of you, I would love you to just mention in the chat if you have experienced any of these emotions in the last, oh, say, nine months or so. How about frustration or anger or sadness? Maybe you are over it. I'm kind of in that last category. I've been having feelings of just being over it the last couple weeks. Because see, the thing is, is the reality we're all waiting for something, all of us. We all have that in common. We are all waiting on something in our life. But what if the waiting could be better? What if the waiting could be different? One of my favorite stories in the Advent is the story of two people whose life was characterized by waiting. Now these two people, they knew each other they served with each other in the temple, and maybe they even helped each other in their time of waiting. And their names were Anna and Simeon. Before we jump into their story, would you pray with me? God, we thank you in this season. We thank you in this season of waiting. We ask today that you would be with us to lead us and to teach us and to show us what it is that you might want us to know in our seasons of waiting. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, first we are going to jump into the story of Simeon. We're going to read Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 26. And it says this. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. So, here we meet Simeon, and Luke, the writer, tells us a few interesting things about him. 
First, we see his name. Now, in Hebrew culture, names have meaning, and those meanings are usually pretty significant. So Simeon's name means obedience or to listen. Specifically, it means to listen to God's word and to understand it, to just get it. And then we see that his name actually plays out in his life because he's described then as being righteous and devout. So Simeon is very, very connected to his faith and he is devout in his service of the Lord. But then we see that he's waiting on something. He's waiting for the hope of Israel. And I love how the message version puts it. The message version says that Simeon lived in prayerful expectancy of the help of Israel. But what is he waiting on? What help is he talking about? This consolation, what, what is he referring to? Well, the Hebrew people in the days of Jesus' birth, the Israelites, they basically were a nation in captivity. They were waiting to hear from their God. They were lonely. They were desperate for a rescuer. Can you identify with that at all? Maybe you're lonely today. Maybe you are waiting to hear from God or you are feeling in need of a rescuer. But I love how Luke describes Simeon's waiting because he says that he is waiting in prayerful expectancy. And this gives us the idea of waiting um, with hope, with, with hope instead of with despair. So in Hebrew, there are two words that describe waiting. The first is yakal. Yakal just means to wait. Like that's the kind of waiting we do when we go to Disneyland and we wait in line. The other one is kava. Now, kava is the thought of expectancy, that hopeful expectancy. So I've heard it described like this. Um, a farmer does both yakal and kava. So when he plants his seeds and he's waiting for the time for them to grow, the standard time it takes, that's yakal. But he also has kava. He has this hopeful waiting that the seeds are going to grow into this abundant crop. And more than that, he is putting his hope into a person, that person being God. So kava is the idea of hopeful waiting, waiting with expectation. And oftentimes this waiting happens when there's actually no proof that anything would actually happen or anything would get better. Kind of like right now, right? It's not optimism. It's putting the hope into God and his past faithfulness and his character. And this is the kind of waiting that Luke describes Simeon as having. But then he says something else of importance. Let's read. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. <laughs> okay, this part's really cool. So God gave Luke direct words, a direct message that told him he would not die until he saw the Lord's Messiah, until he saw the rescuer of Israel. Now it would take Simeon's entire life for it to happen, but he had a direct revelation from God himself in his time of waiting. Moved by the spirit, he went to the temple courts. When the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace for my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have now prepared in the sight of all nations. 
So Simeon is so in tune with God. He's so centered with God in his waiting that he doesn't miss out on the promise that God has. And not only that, but when he sees the baby Jesus, he instantly recognizes him as that promise. Now the name Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua and it means rescue, deliverer. And remember, Simeon was waiting for the rescue and the deliverance of Israel. Now, he gets so excited that he grabs the baby Jesus out of his mother's arms. And, and my brain is like a creative brain, so I almost picture it like, you know the Lion King? In the Lion King dedication where the monkey grabs onto the lion and he raises him up into the air? That's what I'm thinking of in my brain, okay? So he grabs Jesus and he gives this proclamation and he basically tells God, today's the day, Lord, I have seen it all. Your word came true, I can now die in peace because he had been waiting for so long and his waiting was realized in that. But see, in his waiting, Simeon didn't get distracted. He didn't avoid his waiting. He didn't rush his wait or get caught up in the emotions of his waiting. In fact, because of that, he was so connected with God that he was able to give a prophecy about Jesus that said he was more than just the savior of Israel, but for all. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, that's us, and the glory of your people, Israel. Now, it may be really easy to say that Simeon could wait because God gave him a direct revelation right? I mean, I imagine that those words that God told him that he was going to see the Savior of Israel and that he wouldn't die until then, it probably really helped him in his time of waiting, right? But what about us? What about those of us who are waiting and haven't had a direct revelation from God? I mean, I would venture to say that not many of us have had that happen to us in our seasons of waiting. And in this time of year, in this world, this year, 2020, where collectively as a whole, this year could best be described as being plagued by chronic instability and extended ambiguity. I mean, in other words, all that we know about 2020 is that we don't know, right? I mean, it's almost kind of like this meme. <laughs> this 300 days in March and five years in April, that only, that, this only goes to April. That's not including, you know, August and June and July and December. I mean, I wonder how many days are in December. It feels like five years just in this month alone, right? And that's not even including whatever it is that you are personally waiting on. Maybe a paycheck, a diagnosis, a friend, a treatment. I mean, it's all well and good for Mr. Simeon over here who got the direct revelation, but what about someone who didn't? This is where we come to Anna. Now, I can really relate to Anna because Anna waited for a very long time and did not have one single word from God about her time of waiting. Let's read it together. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. 
So Luke tells us all kinds of things about Anna that would be really easy to gloss over. The first thing we see is Anna's name. So Anna's name translates to kindness or grace, the favor of God. And then we see that her father's name is Penuel, which actually means the face of God. So Anna's name all put together is the kindness, favor, and the face of God. Let's take that little bit of information. We're going to put it over here for just a minute, and we're going to come back to it in just a second. Now, it says that Anna was a widow. She was a prophet as well and served in the temple alongside of Simeon, but she was a widow. Now, in tradition, Hebrew women would often get married between the ages of 12 and 20. So let's just take the middle of that. And let's say that Anna got married at the age of 16, okay? So she gets married at 16. She's married to her husband for seven years, and then bam, he dies. And so basically at the age of 23, Anna becomes a widow. And then how long did the text say? How old did the text say she was? 84, right? So let's like calculate that in our brains, 84, 23. So Anna was a widow for basically 61 years, give or take a few. And let's see how she waited in that time. She worshiped God day and night in the temple with fasting and prayer. See, Anna was in more than just a season of waiting. Her life was characterized by waiting. And yet Anna was not distracted. She was focused She was focused on God, seeking him day in and day out, serving him in the temple day in and day out, in the middle of her waiting and her suffering. She also was not avoiding, but she was accepting. Anna accepted her plot in life, and she laid it down at the feet of Jesus every day. Anna also wasn't rushing in her waiting, but she was resting in her waiting See, Anna chose to actively rest in God's presence every day of her life, leading her to serve God in the temple, which also led her to serve others in the middle of her suffering and in her pain. And then Anna wasn't ruled by her emotions. She was centered or in tune with God's spirit. Now, I am not saying that Anna wasn't emotional. I mean, think about it. She was a widow at a really young age. In fact, imagine this. Imagine you wait for your husband in all the sense of what that means, and then you finally get married, and then you're only with your husband for a short seven years, and then he dies, and you become a widow for the rest of your life. I mean, Anna's dreams were cut short. She had no children. She had no grandchildren. She probably wanted a do-over, and yet she wasn't stuck in her emotions over this. Yes, she might have been angry and she might have been sad, but she didn't allow her emotions to rule over her. She didn't allow her emotions to be the engine of her train. Let me explain. Picture a train. We have a train over here, right? Now in a train, we have the engine. The engine of the train is what drives the train. And what makes the train go up and down? If the train turns left, turns right, it follows the engine, right? Now, a train also has a caboose. Now, I actually have, like, no idea what a caboose's job even is. I'm sure that there's a reason for it, right? I just don't know what it is. But a caboose is an important part of the train, but it's at the end of the train. The caboose does not drive the train, right? Now, oftentimes in life, we put our feelings into 
the engine of our train, our train of life. We allow our emotions to drive our train. This can cause our life to seemingly get off track, right? It can cause our life to go up and down and all around. And this, when we allow our emotions to drive our train, this can make us um, do some pretty weird or even destructive things. Uh, Like for example, let's say that you are so just anxious and, and stressed out about all of the shutdowns and COVID. And so you run off to Sam's Club and you literally buy an entire row of toilet paper, right? Or let's say your kids are frustrated and they're done with all of their Zoom school and you are in the middle of your Zoom meeting for work and once again they come in and interrupt you so that you have to get up and go help them find their login or their assignment or you're calling a tantrum and you're about ready to pull your hair out so that when your poor husband comes into your room slash office and just asks you a general question, you'll loop it and you'll lock yourself in your closet with a bottle of wine. Is that just me or did anybody else do that too? (laughs) Right? But that's what happens when we allow our emotions to be the engine of our train. Now, Philippians 4.8 says this. And now, brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what's true. Now, this verse is a really good example because if we allow truth, if we allow facts to be the engine of our train and we put our emotions or our feelings in the caboose where they belong. Now, emotions and feelings, they are important. God gave them to us for a reason, but they shouldn't drive our train. So if we get this right, facts or truth in the engine, our faith right there in the middle of it all and our feelings at the end then this can allow us to use our time of waiting to hear from God. It can turn it into an opportunity, an opportunity for God to grow us in him or an opportunity for us to serve others or to just make a difference. Anna and Simeon both led lives characterized by waiting. And Anna again, didn't have a word from the Lord about her time of waiting. And because she didn't have her feelings in her engine, she was able to use it as an opportunity to be so centered and in tune with God that she too recognized Jesus immediately when she saw him. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Not only did she recognize Jesus for who he was, but she couldn't stop talking about him to everyone she came across. Anna and Simeon were waiting, but they were hopeful waiters. They weren't stuck. And God granted them the actual desires of their heart, which was Jesus. And that was enough for them. See, we don't know what happens to Simeon or Anna. Presumably they live and then they pass away. But what we do know about them by their reactions is that their hearts were filled and their hopes were fulfilled. And this was all in the very face of God. In fact, remember how we put Anna's name over here? Anna got to see the realization of her name the very kindness and favor, the face of God in Jesus. So today, in this season of personal and collective waiting, 
How are you waiting? Are you distracted or are you focused? Are you avoiding or accepting? Are you rushing or are you resting? Are you emotional or are you centered? Because if we are distracted and emotional and and rushing and, and emotional, we are going to miss whatever it is that God has for us in the waiting. We are going to miss what it is that God is going to say about himself, what it is that Jesus wants us to know about him, about his love, about his care, about his provision for us, about his character. And to be honest, to go through all of this in this year, 2020, collectively and personally, and then miss Jesus in it all, that's the saddest part Because the reality of it is that God could give you everything that you are waiting for. He could give you that sense of normalcy that you're desiring, the the spouse that you're trying to find, the house that you want to buy, the job that you've been waiting for, the school that you're dying to get in, or he could not. And so if he doesn't, are we like Anna and Simeon, where Jesus is enough for us? Now, Anna did two things that I believe we can also do that will help us in our seasons of waiting to be better at waiting. The first thing she did was praise God. Now, Anna spent time in the temple praising God and praying to him day in and day out. That is something we can do super easy. In fact, if you find it difficult, just play some worship music. Play some praise music. Ask your Alexa to to play praise music and she'll do it for you. Now, you can play it in your car, you can play it in your home, but when we listen to praise music, it lifts our spirits and it helps us to get our uh, emotions out of the engine of our train. The other thing that Anna did was she thanked God, and that is something we can do too. Thank God. Be specific. Think about the ways that he has met you in this season or the things that he has done for you and then thank him very specifically. If you can't think of anything, then thank him for the the birds that are outside of your window in the morning. Thank him for the breath that you took when you woke up. For me, I thank him for my coffee every day and for hearing my children's laughter down the hallway while I'm at work in my room. Another thing that you can do is serve God. Anna did this when she served God in the temple. When we serve God and we serve others, it gets our mind off of what it is that we are dealing with and it helps us. And so it doesn't have to be anything big or hard. It literally can be holding the door open for someone when you go to the store. It could be um, leaving out a, a box of treats and waters for the Amazon delivery guy that I know is coming to your house sometime in this next week, right? If you want to do something more, you can write a note to a a shut-in that you know that lives in your area. Or maybe you can buy groceries for your neighbor that's struggling to get to the store the next time you go. You can serve in kids' ministry. You can serve online if you're not ready to step out. But serving others helps us to get out of ourselves and to see God in what he is doing. So again, the question today is, how are you waiting? Are you waiting with anxiety, fear, distraction, avoidance, rushing? Are you an emotional mess? 
Or are you feeling God's peace, God's presence, the kavah, the hope, that expectancy that we have in him and in his character? Now today, if you think about it, the reality of it is that peace, that kavah, only can come from the one who truly satisfies our deepest desires, and that is Jesus. And if you are feeling today like you just can't get that peace, that everything you're trying to do is, is making it worse, or you just can't get there, and you need God, you need Jesus, I encourage you, come to Jesus. Tell him you need him because he is the one that can satisfy that deep desire. He's the one that can help you wait with peace and with expectancy. If you are feeling a a bunch of anxiety and a lack of peace, come to Jesus. If you need rest, come to Jesus. If this characterizes you today and you have not ever just laid it all down before God and told him how much you need him, He's waiting for you. He wants to give you that life that is filled with kavah, that life that is filled with his peace and his presence. And so right now, I'm actually going to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to pray in just a moment. I'm going to invite you to pray along with me, to tell God that you need him and to ask him to come into your life, to give you his peace. Will you pray with me now? God, Jesus, thank you that in this season of craziness, I can trust you. I admit that I haven't been doing that. I admit that I need you today more than anything. I've been trying on my own to fix things. I've been trying on my own to avoid things, and it's not working for me anymore. And so I pray, Jesus, that you would please come into my life. Come into my heart. Give me that peace that only you can bring me. I give to you all the things I'm waiting for. All the things that plague my heart and my mind constantly. I lay them before you and ask today for you to fill that need. Please be my peace Be my kavah, my expectation. I come to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with us today, I just want to say amen and congratulations to you. But also we want to be able to come alongside of you and and give you resources and to send you a book, The Purpose Driven Life, that can help you on your new adventure with God. And so please text amen to 69922 so that we can walk alongside of you. This is a moment to be celebrated.